This week, as we journeyed through the Word, we encountered in Genesis a story that is quite confounding, one of the most difficult stories that we wrestle with. Uh, One of the advantages of reading through the Bible as the pastor is I can't skip over some of those difficult texts. And today is one of those difficult texts that I probably wouldn't choose uh, to teach on, but as we read through the Bible, we need to stop and ask ourselves, well, why is this story in here and how does it apply for our life? And of course, it's the story of Abram putting Isaac on the altar. And without reflection, man, it almost seems like this story is saying something about God that we know today is simply not true. So that's why I want to look at it today, and we'll work through some of the questions that maybe came up in your mind when you read this passage. We'll also look at what the story has to teach us today and how we can have a stronger faith. We read this week that God promised Abraham and his wife Sarah that they would have a son, the son being Isaac, through whom all the world would be blessed. Abraham was declared by God the father of a great nation. But it was going to come through this one son, Isaac. And sure enough, when Abraham reached the tender age of 100, Isaac was born. And Abraham and Sarah rejoiced. And now here it is several years later, maybe 16 or 18 years, Isaac's a teenager perhaps maybe even a little bit older. And God calls Abraham's name again and says, Abraham, as he had done many times in the past, but this time God didn't give Abraham a promise. Instead, he asked Abraham to do something that was very difficult, something that we in our own human mind cannot even imagine. And from the very first verse of this account, the Bible makes it clear that this was only a test. This was only a test. God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. It was a test of Abraham's faith. Let's read the story, Genesis 22, beginning with verse 1. Sometime later, God tested. There it is right there. Tested Abraham. And friends, he still tests us today. He doesn't tempt us, but God will test us. God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham responded and said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there We will worship and then we will come back to you. Notice the faith that Abraham demonstrated even before he knew how the story was going to end. We'll worship and then 
we're going to come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught in by his horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The events of this story, friends, are taking place long before, of course, the Bible is written. But in your mind, remember, this story is taking place long before the law had ever been delivered to Moses. A long time before God's people had a fuller understanding of who God was, of God's nature, of God's character. People that we've been reading about like Noah and Abraham and Joseph followed God based upon what they knew about him. But their revelation was very, very limited. Man, you and I are so fortunate. We have the word of God and we have the Holy Spirit. Our ability to know who God is is far greater than those of the Old Testament patriarchs. And at the time of this event... Human sacrifice was not uncommon. It was practiced by other religions. Now, Abraham here was still learning about the nature of God. Just as when you first place your faith in Jesus, you begin to learn about God. You begin to question. You begin to, to look at the scripture. You begin to pray. You begin to see miracles happen in your life. You begin to mature in your faith. So Abraham was still learning about the nature of God. He didn't know as much about the nature of God than we do. And perhaps he thought, well, maybe this is what God is going to require of us. He only knew that God was telling him to do something, and he was going to obey whether he understood it or not. But I want you to note again in verse 5 that he said to his servants, stay here we're going to go worship, and we will come back. We will come back. Notice, that gives me some insight into Abraham's thinking here. Abram had Isaac carry the wood for the sacrifice, and it says he carried the, the knife and the fire. The fire was probably a very small vessel uh, that had burning embers inside of it that would be, you know, used to ignite the flame. 
And as we read, Isaac noticed something didn't quite add up. So he asked his dad about the, the lamb for the fat sacrifice. And he simply replied by saying, well, God himself will provide the lamb. Was Abraham lying to Isaac? No, I don't think so. He wasn't telling Isaac what he thought Isaac wanted to hear. But listen, he was telling Isaac what he himself wanted to hear, what he believed in the deepest part of his soul. That's why confession in its rightful place, I'm not talking about taking it into the extremes, but confession of God's word is important for you and I as believers. We are who he says we are. We sang that this morning. When he says you're chosen, when he says you've been redeemed, when he says he'll provide for you, you need to confess that with your mouth. You need to declare those scriptures in your life. And I believe that's exactly what Abraham was doing here. He was speaking in faith. Son, don't worry about it. God will provide a sacrifice. Abraham needed to hear himself say that. Just like maybe you today need to hear yourself say, God will provide. God is going to come through for me. God will rescue me. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I am going to trust God. Remember, God had told Abraham that Isaac, specifically Isaac and his descendants would be counted. So, depending on the way that Abraham looked at that promise, he must have thought, well, there can be no fulfillment of that promise if Isaac isn't part of the picture. And the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, refers back to this story. In fact, let me read it to you this morning, because I think it would help us. Hebrews, chapter 11, this is... uh, not on your outline. I actually added this uh, yesterday to my message. But if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there and read with me. If you're taking notes, mark it down. Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So see what I'm saying here? He was standing on a promise that Isaac had to remain alive for God's promises to be fulfilled. I think that's really important for us to understand When Abraham said, we will return, he was not just saying that like wishful thinking. I believe he said that based upon the promises God had given him. Now, what promises has God given you? Maybe for the salvation of your loved ones, maybe for financial provision, maybe to to have a restoration of a relationship. Whatever that promise is, God is faithful to his promises. So you can stand on them. Now, when they arrived at this place that God had told them to go, Abraham did exactly what 
He should have. He built the altar. He placed the wood on it. He bound Isaac with rope. He laid him on the altar. It's interesting. Nothing is recorded about the conversation between father and son. And I'm sure there was some. You know, the questions Isaac must have been asking. And I believe that Abraham's answer probably was consistent with what we do know, that Abraham said, don't worry about it, son, God will provide. So even as he bound him and put him on the altar, he must have said to Isaac, God will provide. And so much of the focus of today's story is on Abraham, but I want us to think for just a moment about Isaac and the faith that he had. He was younger. He was stronger, he was faster than his aged father. Man, he was big enough to carry all that wood up the mountain. Isaac didn't necessarily have to go along with Abraham. He could have overpowered him. I thank God for the faith of Isaac in the words of his father Abraham. He went along. It shows me, friends, something about Isaac's faith, about his character, and about his submissive heart. There are times in my life I do not have a clue what God is doing. But I try to trust him. As I've said often, when you can't trust God's hand, trust his heart. So Abraham raised his knife, and he looked up, and at that very moment, nearby he saw this ram with his horns caught in the thicket. And Abraham took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering. Can you imagine the relief Abraham and Isaac both must have felt when they saw that ram? And he named that place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. So let's look at how we can apply this story to our life. God's never going to ask anyone here to do what he asked Abraham to do. Because Abraham's story is unique, just like your story is unique. My story is unique. It's also true. This really happened. So even though he won't ask you to do what he's asked Abraham to do, God is going to ask you to do things this year that's going to move you beyond your comfort zone. If you really want to walk with God and grow with God, he will push you to your very limits. He will ask you to do things beyond your comfort zone, even though you might not understand, but you can trust. So today, man, if you're watching online and you're going through a confusing time, and maybe you're going through a lot of different kinds of tests, I believe this story can offer some insight into your life. And the first thing I want you to note, there will be tests in life. And they all mean something. Every one of us will be tested. Now, I remember when I was back in school, back in the days when, you know, classes were held in classrooms, and the professor would be droning on and giving you all this information. And ultimately, somebody in the back of the class would say, uh, you know, Mr. Jones, is this going to be on the test? Remember those days? You always wanted to know, is this information going to be on the test? You wanted to know. You wanted to know if you actually needed to hear the information and learn it. In the Christian life, in walking with Jesus, I want you to know there's no such thing as useless information. There's no such thing as a lesson without application. 
As we read through the Old Testament, there'll be parts of the Old Testament we'll wonder, man, why are we reading this? Hey, it's feeding our spirit and it is useful information, even if we don't understand how to apply it. Whenever God teaches you something, he's going to give you the opportunity to put it into practice. So just, (laughs) you know, accept that. There's going to be tests in your spiritual life, and every test is going to mean something. Now, you might wonder, well, why does God have to test me? Well, we learn really clearly in this story of Abraham and Isaac that sometimes God tests us because God wants to walk the path of discovery with us. It's like saying, Jerry, I'm calling on you to do this, and I'll wait. Well, I'll give you the opportunity to do it, but I'll walk through it with you. Let's see what happens. See, God doesn't just give us a test and then abandon us until the test is over. God is walking in this journey with us. The discovery sometimes is not for you, It's for you so you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt the limits of your faith and your words. That he'll give you a a chance to back up your words. You know, we all want, hey, prove those words to us. You say you love us, but hey, show us how you love us. And the same thing in walking with the Lord. That's why I've taught over the years, the word believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved is more than intellectual belief. Because even the demons believe. Believe has to be accompanied by obedience. You know, sometimes we say these things in kind of a grandiose manner. Oh, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll wait a million years. I'll, I'll ju- just say the word God. I'll go to Africa. I'll do whatever. And then we wake up in the morning and see snow on the ground. And we say, oh, man, I think I'll skip church today. <laughs> I mentioned it the other, the other day, the other Sunday. Oh, people saying, well, Lord, as soon as you give me a big income, I'll tithe. Well, no. We have to be obedient right where we are. In a sense, the test is for you so that you can know your limits. In another sense, the test is for other people because other people are watching your life, your family, your neighbors. There are many, many Christians who have lost their credibility to share Jesus because of their actions. And that's sad. We know about Abraham's faith and obedience, not just because there's a verse in the Bible that says Abraham was a person of faith, but there are multiple stories, not just this one, that show us the full extent of his willingness to trust and obey God. So there's going to be times a test will come into our life, and we'll have the opportunity to demonstrate for others what faith looks like, what trust looks like, what obedience looks like. Whatever God's teaching you, let me tell you, it's going to be on the test. Second thing I want you to notice is that there comes a time when obedient action is the only meaningful measure of your faith. And I've entitled this message, A Meaningful Measure. 
Because words without action are just words. Oh, we hear empty promises all the time. Bible says, faith without works is dead. We are saved by faith, but our faith better lead us to good deeds. Otherwise, we have to question our faith. And one of the things I love about this story is that we don't have any clue what Abraham was feeling when all these events took place. Now, we can kind of imagine, because he was a man just like we are, he was feeling confused, he was feeling maybe afraid, he was probably overwhelmed with it all. But I don't think any of Abraham's feelings are recorded because they really don't play a significant role in this story. What is significant was Abraham's action. Our feelings really, really in the long run, don't matter. It's, it's what we do. Now, the book of James is really clear on this. James chapter 2. James 2. It says, beginning with verse 21, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. I want to be a man who has complete faith. And that's only going to happen if I do what God's calling me to do. James goes on to say, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Check that out. James chapter 2. We're saved by faith. Don't get me wrong. You cannot work your way into salvation. Salvation is a free gift. It's mercy. It's grace. It's all about God's love. Our works do not save us. But there comes a time that they confirm the extent of our faith. Your feelings will never be the most meaningful measure of any aspect of your Christian life. Whether you, you know, feel really emotionally charged during worship, or whether you feel real angry about injustice in our society, your feelings are not the most meaningful measure. God made us with feelings. We can't deny them. We have to deal with them. But basically, here in Abraham's story of Isaac, we find out it's what you do that counts. I love to read, and uh, I, I read a short article one time by John Grisham, which was one of my favorite authors. And he says that the best writers, and what his... his um, way of writing is, is uh, in character development. As you're developing a character, it's called show, don't tell. If your character is angry or kind or indecisive or generous, don't tell the reader that. But show the reader that by the way the person is acting. Show in the action of the character. 
Because according to John Grisham and some of the great fiction writers of our day, a character is what a character does. Show, don't tell. I thought, man, that's a good principle for my life. <laughs> my neighbor needs to know I love Jesus because of what they see, not what I say. My good works, your good works will never save us, but our actions will tell people something about the extent of our faith. And Jesus, even in Matthew chapter 21, is recorded as telling a parable. You might remember this. A, a father that had two sons, and he asked them to go out and work in the vineyard while he was gone. And the one said, yeah, I'll do that for you, Dad. You can count on me. But he didn't. And remember, the other son said, uh, no, Dad, I've got some other plans today. I, I can't help you. But he actually did go and do the work. And Jesus asked, which of the two did the will of the father? The one who said he would or the one that actually did what the father wanted? So take comfort, friends, that faith isn't measured by our feelings. That's a really essential guideline to remember. It's not enough to feel a certain feeling. It's not enough to talk a certain talk. It's not enough to be filled with good intentions. There's a time that the most meaningful measure of our faith is shown by our actions. And that's something we can glean from this story that we read this week about Abraham and Isaac. Third thing, and I'll close with this. Each test leads you to the next level of life in Christ. It leads to your maturity. You can read verses 16, 17, and 18 in our text. See, a test is not without meaning. When Abraham passed the test, he was ready to experience the fullness of God's promises, including the multitude of nations that would be birthed through Isaac. And it's the same for us. God brings tests into our life so we can pass them and then move on to the next level of blessing. God is not obligated to take you any further than your last act of obedience. Man, so often... Uh, <laughs> I'll say, God, won't you do this for me? Won't you do this for me? And God will remind, well, I'm waiting for you to do what I asked you to do two months ago. Oh. But each test will lead you to the next level of victory and maturity in Christ. Now, what kind of test does he give us? And don't be confused. The Bible is clear. A test is not a temptation. God does not tempt us. God doesn't try to bait us, you know, with doing something that he can punish us for later. That's entrapment. That's not my God. That's not the God of the Bible. The test that come your way will be the opportunity to do the right things. Speak a word of encouragement. Put your feelings aside and prefer the best interest of somebody else. The opportunity maybe to help somebody that's been knocked down by life. The opportunity to show love by being patient and kind and forgiving. An opportunity to serve. An opportunity to give. 
Those are the opportunities that God brings into our life. And he's saying, here it is. Here's your test. What are you going to do with it? And again, if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you'll know with every act of obedience, you move one step closer to the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. And the tests that you face in life are never without meaning. They always serve a purpose. They give you a chance to measure your faith. Gives you an opportunity to take action. Gives you an opportunity to be a good witness. And every time you respond with obedience, you become more and more like Jesus. Before I close this morning, um, I want to say something about these events um, and why God would ask such a thing of Abraham. Because like I said, this is a difficult story. Um, One reason is this story would resonate with the people of an ancient culture. If you're writing today, you want to write to the culture of your readers. And sometimes we forget that the culture of the Old Testament, the culture of the New Testament is totally different than the culture of America in 2021. So that's why we always have to put things in context. This story would have resonated with people of an ancient culture. And it would have helped them understand in a really dramatic way that God is not a God of human sacrifice. As I said earlier, historically, that was kind of common. So immediately, God is determining to announce, I am not a God of human sacrifice. He didn't require it of Abraham. He intervened at the most crucial moment, making it clear, friend, that this is not something that he requires his followers to do. But if we look at the the word through the prophetic lens, through typology, because many times Old Testament stories are types of things, of events that are going to happen in the future. In verse number two, we read it. It said, God said to his son, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Remember that? Whom you love. It's the first time love appears in our Bible. That's it. Genesis 22 Verse 2, first time the word love appears in the Bible. And notice what love is connected to. Sacrifice. Now isn't that interesting? The story of Abraham and Isaac foreshadows the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Like Isaac, Jesus was the only son of the Father. Like Isaac... Carrying the wood up the mountain, Jesus carried the cross, the instrument of death on his shoulder. Like Isaac submitting to the will of Abraham, Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and said, not my will, but your will be done. God didn't require Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but he did use this story to foreshadow What would happen some 2,000 years later when Jesus' death on the cross 
would become the sacrificial act of love for every one of us. Every one of us watching, every one of us in person have sinned and fallen short of God's ideal. We talked about that Wednesday night, the depravity of man. We saw the days of Noah. I hope if you're able to join, I'd just like to invite you to join us on Wednesday night. It's really part of journeying through the Word. We meet here in the auditorium at 7 o'clock, just one hour from 7 to 8. We discuss what we've read. The facilitator of the night gives a little insight. It's wonderful. I've learned so much from others in, in just attending. But one of the things that we understand is the depravity of man. We've all sinned. We know who we are, who we really are. We need forgiveness. We need grace. We need mercy. Every one of us does in the sound of my voice. And as Jesus hung on the cross on Calvary, every sin that you have ever or ever will commit was placed on him, and he paid the price, the price that I deserved and you deserved. In Jesus, friends, you have forgiveness. You have been washed clean. You've been made new. That's what his death's all about. His grace is free. If you've never asked Christ to forgive you of your sin, do that today. Just say, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I accept your sacrifice on the cross. Will you come into my life and will you forgive me my sin? Will you make me new? Will you give me the Holy Spirit as my, my compass for life? Will you give me a desire to follow you and be in alignment with you? I want to make clear that if, if, you, if you don't align yourself with God, man, you'll never experience the blessings and the goodness that God has for you. But once you receive the free gift of salvation that he offers, God will use your every step of obedience to lead you further into his promises. As our worship team comes back this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. I believe that the Bible is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4 tells us that. It can separate between our spirit and our soul. It can separate between the intentions of our heart. So I encourage you to just bow your head. And if you're watching online, maybe you can just take a moment and pause. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Maybe there's something you've learned from this teaching this morning. Maybe there's something that God is asking you to do that you've been afraid to do. But you understand that he's stretching you. He's taking you out of his comfort zone. And without your obedience, he's not able to do what he's promised to do in your life. So let's just take a moment. Reflective response letting the Holy Spirit take the word of God and apply it to our individual lives